Chapter 17 The words were printed in big block letters, scrawled crookedly over the page. They read, You can be close to Carlo again, in the grave. This is you, dead meat, if you talk. Jillian held the note in two hands, bringing it close to her face, her eyes sweeping over it again and again. Randy had her hands pressed tightly against the sides of her head. Her chin quivered. She backed toward the kitchen door. The foul odor of the rotten meat began to overwhelm me. I stared down from the note to the thousands of white maggots crawling over the meat. Then, as my stomach began to lurch, I followed Randy out of the kitchen. I glanced back in time to see Jillian crumple the note into a ball and toss it angrily against the wall. Her expression didn't reveal fear, only rage. She let out a frustrated cry, and bawling both hands into tight fists, followed us to the living room. The sour smell seems to follow me. It's in my clothes, I thought, shuddering with disgust. It's in my skin. I began to itch all over. I pictured the white maggots crawling on my shoulders, crawling up my neck, and up and down my back. I couldn't wait to get home and take a long hot bath, but I knew I couldn't just leave without trying to comfort Jillian first. It's just a cruel joke, Randy said, dropping down beside Jillian on the green leather living room couch. I perched on the arm of the matching green leather armchair across from them. It's not a joke, Jillian murmured with more bitterness than fear. What happened to Carlo wasn't a joke. This isn't a joke. It's a real threat. Who could have put that in there? Randy demanded, glancing at me. Where did you have your backpack today, Jillian? It could have been anyone, Jillian sighed. This morning, I left my backpack in the music room when the chorus went down to the auditorium to practice, and I left it in the gym last period so I wouldn't have to go all the way back to my locker after study hall. So you never saw anyone fooling around near it, I asked. Jillian shook her head, her auburn hair swinging with it. Who would do such a horrible thing, she wailed, waving her fists in front of her. I have to throw out the whole pack now. And what about my books and my notebooks? They smell horrible. And they're crawling with maggots. It had to be someone who knows about the secret vow, I murmured, thinking out loud. How many people know about the vow? Just us, Jillian replied, frowning. Then she added, and Todd. Todd didn't do this, Randy said quickly. How do you know, I demanded. Randy glared at me. Todd just wouldn't, she snapped, her eyes locked on mine for a long time. Natalie, you think Todd murdered Carlo, don't you, she accused. I, I, I don't know, I sputtered. Todd isn't a murderer, Randy insisted. He's as upset about what happened as we are, I know he is, and he's even more upset that you accused him, Natalie. I was just starting to think that Carlo's death was an accident, Jillian revealed, shaking her head sadly. And now, this. It was an accident, Randy told her. It had to be an accident. Randy seemed so eager to believe Carlo died accidentally. I studied her face as she talked to Jillian. Was she hiding something? Was she protecting Todd? Was she protecting herself? This is just a sick joke somebody played, Randy insisted. I'm sure that. Keith knows about the vow, too, I said, interrupting Randy. They both turned to me, startled expressions on their faces. Randy narrowed her eyes at me. You broke the vow? You told Keith about the accident? About everything? I nodded. I had to tell him, I explained. I was so upset, so totally messed up. I had to tell someone, and I trust Keith. Jillian nodded. Keith is okay. He's not involved in this. He wasn't in the car with us, and he wasn't at the lodge last Saturday. But can he keep his secret? Randy demanded, still staring hard at me. Maybe Keith told some other guys about the accident and everything? Maybe the whole school knows about it by now? If so, we'll be caught for sure? She jumped up and took a few angry strides toward me. I can't believe you told him, Natalie. 
Keith will protect the secret, I said, trying to keep my voice calm and steady. No problem. Why was Randy carrying on like this? Why was she attacking Keith? I often thought she liked him as much as I did. I was sure she had a crush on him, too. I was grateful when Keith came by to pick me up a few minutes later. We offered Randy a ride, but she wanted to stay with Jillian a while longer. So I followed Keith out to his car, glad to get away. I really couldn't bear the thought that there was suddenly so much tension among Randy, Jillian, and me. We had always been so close. We had always been able to confide our deepest, darkest secrets to each other. But now the trust was gone, replaced by suspicion and fear. The rain had dwindled to a cold drizzle. I zipped my parka against the cold, swirling winds. Keith tugged at the door on the driver's side. He muttered a curse when it wouldn't open. Climb in on your side and open my door from the inside for me, he instructed. The stupid door always sticks. Cold rainwater fell from the trees, splashing my face. I ducked my head, pulled open the passenger door, and leaned into the car to push open his door. This car should be condemned, I told Keith as he slid behind the wheel. You should shoot it and put it out of its misery. He turned and stared at me, a strange, startled expression on his face. I realized what I had said. Sorry, I murmured, grabbing his arm. Guess I've got shooting on my mind. I pictured poor Carlos sprawled on the ground, his face blown all over the grass. Oh, Keith! I pressed my forehead against his jacket sleeve. He slid his arm around my shoulder. I raised my face to his and kissed him eagerly, hungrily. A troubling thought made me interrupt a kiss. I pulled my head back abruptly. You didn't tell anyone what I told you, did you? About the car accident? He shook his head, his dark eyes locked on mine. No, of course not, he whispered. I would never tell anyone. I, I can't stand this much longer, I stammered. Tonight, I... It's almost over, he said, struggling to start the car. The engine groaned and coughed and finally kicked in on the third try. Almost over? What do you mean? He turned back and stared out the rear window as he backed down Jillian's driveway. It's nearly two weeks, he explained. The police don't have a clue about who killed the mayor's sister. That's what they said on the news tonight. I sank back against the seat and let out a long whoosh of air. I stared out into the darkness as Keith lowered his foot on the gas and the car chugged noisily down the street. Two weeks. Had it only been two weeks? It seems like two years to me. They won't keep the investigation going much longer, Keith continued. The defroster was broken, so he wiped his steamed up windshield with his hand. You mean? I mean you're almost out of the woods, Natalie, he replied. You're not going to be caught. You're going to be okay. Do you think so? I asked eagerly, studying his serious face, as flickering light from the street lamp washed over him. He nodded. The horror is over. It's all over. I shut my eyes and made a silent prayer that he was right. Unfortunately, he was very wrong. Chapter 18 The math test on Friday afternoon was as bad as I had expected. I spent so much time on the first two problems I had to rush through the rest of the exam. When the bell rang, I hadn't even read the last three problems. I wrote down guesses and unhappily handed the test paper up the road to Mr. Caldwell. As I gathered up my stuff and started out of the room, I heard some other kids grumbling about the test. Randy was heading out the door with a smile on her face. I guess she did okay. The test had been the last period of the day. I planned to hurry home, do a couple hours of homework, and then go to the shady side ice rink. I needed some exercise. I needed to clear my head. I needed to move and stretch my legs and get my heart pumping, and not think. But as I turned the corner to my locker, I found Jillian waiting for me. She wore a pale green sweater over loose-fitting faded denim jeans. Her auburn hair had fallen over her face. She had dropped her new blue book bag to the floor at her feet, 
As she brushed the hair away from her eyes, I saw that she was crying. Jillian, what is it? I demanded, glancing around to see if anyone was watching us. Locker slammed. The long hallway echoed with laughter and loud voices. Everyone was packing up book bags, heading out for the weekend. Leaning back against the wall, she wiped her tear-stained face with both hands. She was breathing hard, her slender shoulders trembling. I messed up on the test, too, I said, shaking my head. It was really unfair. The first problems were the hardest. I'm not upset about the test, Jillian murmured, brushing a wet strand of hair off her face. And then she added with emotion, I don't care about the stupid math test. I dropped my backpack beside hers. Jillian, do you want to go somewhere and talk? I suggested softly. She shook her head. Nothing to talk about, she muttered. Her chin trembled. Natalie, I'm going to the police. Excuse me? I moved out of the way as the janitor wheeled a wide cart of chairs toward the auditorium. The cart made so much noise as it clattered over the floor, I wasn't sure I had heard Jillian correctly, but I had. I have to, Jillian insisted shrilly. I can't sleep. I can't eat. It's driving me crazy. I didn't reply. I stared at her troubled face. A thousand thoughts rolled through my mind. She's right. We should all go to the police and confess. It's the right thing to do. If she tells the police, our lives will all be ruined. If we just keep the secret, we'll all be okay. There were no witnesses, no clues. I have to persuade Jillian not to go. I have no right to keep Jillian from doing what she thinks is best. A thousand thoughts, all of them contradicting each other. I feel as if Carlo is telling me to go, Jillian continued, wiping a tear off her pale cheek. Carlo, what do you mean? I asked. I can hear his voice, Natalie, Jillian replied. I hear Carlo. I hear him right now. He's telling me what to do. He's telling me to do what he planned to do, to go tell the police the truth. But, Jillian, I put a hand on her shoulder. She brushed it away. There's so much you don't know, Natalie, she said, locking her eyes on mine. The night before we went to the hunting lodge, Carlo and I had a long talk. He told me everything. Everything. It's not what you think. It... What? I demanded. Jillian, what are you talking about? What did Carlo tell you? Jillian didn't answer my question. She let out a sob. We'll all be better off when the police know, she said. All of us. But what did Carlo tell you? I repeated. Jillian didn't reply. We both heard a cough. From around the corner. I moved quickly to see who was there. Brandy and Todd, with tense, thoughtful expressions on their faces. Uh, hi, Natalie, Todd stammered. What's up? Had they been listening? I wondered. Had they been spying? Did they hear what Jillian planned to do? Chapter 19 what a shame, Keith said, shaking his head. She's going to ruin it for everyone. I skated beside him and grabbed onto the arm of his sweater. I was a much better skater than Keith. I had to slow down to stay at his snail-like pace. Do you really think I should try to convince her not to go? I asked, wrapping my gloved hand around his arm. Keith nodded solemnly. We continued gliding, making a slow, steady circle. The shady side ice rink was pretty crowded. Skaters whirred past us. I wished Keith could skate a little faster. Going this slow was frustrating. I wanted to fly across the ice, fly away from my thoughts, fly away from our unpleasant conversation. You should try to talk Jillian out of it, Keith urged, leaning forward, concentrating on keeping his balance. You're almost home free. You'll all be okay if she can keep quiet. But what she wants to do is right, I argued. I was so mixed up. I kept arguing one way, then the other. What's done is done, Keith said, his dark brown eyes even more serious than usual. Confessing to the police won't bring back the mayor's sister. Or Carlo, I thought bitterly. You should talk to her, Keith insisted. Why should so many lives be wrecked because of an accident? 
Jillian said that Carlo told her stuff, I revealed. The night before he died, Carlo told her he was going to the police. Keith's expression turned to surprise. He told Jillian stuff? What kind of stuff? I shrugged. We nearly collided with two little kids, bundled up in heavy down coats and wool caps, awkwardly trying to skate backward. You and Carlo were such good friends, I said. Did he talk to you too? Did he tell you about the accident? Keith shook his head. He never said a word to me, Natalie. Carlo kept the secrecy vow. We skated in silence for a while. I could see that Keith was really upset. His features tensed. His eyes narrowed thoughtfully. I wish he had talked to me, he muttered. I wish I had talked to Carlo. Maybe I could have helped him. Maybe I could have made him feel better about things. Keith turned his head away. I think he was crying and didn't want me to see. Two girls from school waved to me from the refreshment stand. I waved back half-heartedly and continued skating beside Keith. Natalie, I, I have to go, Keith stammered, still avoiding my eyes. I held on tightly to his arm. No, stay, I insisted. Keep skating. It'll make you feel better. He pulled free of my grasp. No, really. He finally turned to me. His eyes were sad and troubled. He chewed his bottom lip. Let's go. I'll drive you home. I hesitated. I think I want to skate some more, I told him. I felt guilty. Was I abandoning him when he needed me? Stay a little longer, I urged. Some exercise will make you feel better. He shook his head. I really can't. I told my dad I'd be home early anyway. I'm just not in the mood. Sorry. It's okay if I go without you? Yeah, I'll get a ride with someone else, I said. He turned awkwardly and slowly started to skate toward the exit. Call me later, I shouted after him. He didn't seem to hear me. He skated off the rink without looking back. I watched him drop down on a bench to remove his skates. Then I turned away and started to skate. Faster. Faster. Until the other skaters, the signs, the refreshment stand, the onlookers on the sidelines, all became a blur of light and color. Faster. Faster. The cold, fresh air off the ice felt so good, so soothing. I forced all thoughts from my mind. The loud dance music from the speakers pounded through me, and I leaned forward and skated round and round, seeing no one, hearing only the throbbing drums and guitars. In my own world, I lost track of the time. When I finally stopped skating and gazed up at the big clock on the wall above the refreshment stand, I saw to my surprise that it was past ten o'clock. I searched around for a friend who could drive me home, but I didn't recognize anyone in the rink. No problem, I thought. It's not a very cold night. I'll walk. My ankles and calves tingled from such a long skating session. I made my way off the ice, sat down, and pulled off my skates. My heart was pounding. My forehead dripped with perspiration, but I felt good, tired but relaxed. I tucked the skates into their carrying bag, slung the bag over my shoulder, and made my way out of the front door of the rink. I stepped into a cold, still night. No wind at all. A pale half-moon hovered high over the winter bare trees. A green van rolled slowly past. After it disappeared around the corner, the street stretched empty and silent. I shivered. I'm totally overheated, I realized. I'm probably going to catch my death of a cold. Zipping my red parka up to my chin, I jogged across the dark street. My leg muscles still ached. I scolded myself for being out of shape. There were still puddles on the sidewalk from the heavy rain the night before. I stepped around them carefully as I jogged in the direction of my house. The skate bag bounced heavily on my shoulder as I ran. I stopped to switch it to the other shoulder. And that's when I heard the footsteps behind me, and realized I was being followed. A stab of fear shot through my chest. I squinted into the darkness. Who, who's there? I called. Silence. Then another footstep. A soft thud on the sidewalk. Another. Is there more than one of them? I wondered. I gasped, forced myself to turn away, forced myself to run. My shoes suddenly felt so heavy. 
I could hear the rapid footsteps behind me over the pounding of my heart. They're chasing me, I realized. They're gaining fast. They're catching up to me. I can't run much farther. I can't get away. The skating bag bounced hard against my back as I stopped short and spun around to face my pursuers. I gasped in shock as I came into view under a street lamp. What are you doing here? I cried. Chapter 20 Randy and Todd hurried up to me, breathing hard. I stumbled back, my eyes darting around the deserted street. Was I in danger? In danger from these people I thought were my friends? Why did you run? Todd demanded breathlessly. Didn't you hear us calling you? Randy asked. I, I thought, I sputtered, but I wasn't sure what I thought. Where's Keith? Todd asked. I thought you guys were skating together tonight. He had to go home early, I explained. I felt like skating, so... My voice trailed off. Todd's blue eyes were trained on mine. He wore a bulky blue down vest over a gray sweater. In the dim light, he appeared even bigger and more frightening than usual to me. Randy's ski jacket was open, revealing a black sweatshirt over tight-fitting jeans. She gazed around the dark, empty street, too, as if expecting to see someone. What are you two doing here? I asked, starting to feel more normal. Why did you chase me? We chased you because you ran, Natalie, Randy replied, rolling her eyes. I can't believe you didn't hear us. You're not too speedy, Todd said, snickering. You run like a girl. Randy rolled her eyes and gave him a shove. Pig? It's a little hard to run carrying these heavy skates, I told Todd, shaking the skate bag. You still haven't told me why you were waiting for me. We have to go to Jillian's, Randy said, glancing at Todd. Excuse me? I cried. We have to what? We have to talk to Jillian, Todd said. We have to convince her not to go to the police. You heard? I asked. They both nodded. A dark cloud passed over the moon. Shadows from the street lamp lengthened, then disappeared. The darkness settled around us. She'll listen to you, Randy said, her eyes pleading with me. Jillian trusts you, Natalie. If you tell her not to go to the police, she'll listen. But I don't think we should tell Jillian what to do, I replied, pulling up my parka hood. I think Jillian has to do whatever her conscience tells her. She can't, Todd insisted heatedly. Randy rested a hand on his arm, as if telling him to cool down. We have to decide what to do as a group, she said. We're all in this together. We can't let her ruin it for all of us, Todd added, scowling. I talked to my dad after dinner tonight. He said the mayor's about to give up the search. The police don't have a clue. So why should Jillian go tell them everything now? Because she can't stand it anymore, I replied, my voice breaking. Because it's driving her crazy. Let's go talk with her, Randy pleaded. At least we can try. If we can't persuade her, well, her voice trailed off. If we can't persuade her to keep quiet, then we should all go to the police station together, Todd said. I studied his face, trying to see if he was sincere. I couldn't tell. He gazed back at me blankly, no expression at all. Okay, I said sigh. Let's go see her, but I don't think it will do any good. I followed them to Randy's car, the dark green Volvo, the car that had been in the accident, the car that had killed the mayor's sister. I shuddered as it came into view, parked at the curb just down the street from the skating rink. Did I really want to get back inside it? The car didn't cause the accident, I told myself. The car is just a car. We drove to Jillian's house in silence. Randy had the radio on low to the country station, but none of us was listening to it. Jillian lives in a tall, white-shingled house on Canyon Drive. There was no car in the driveway, but the living room lights were on. Randy pulled the car up to the house, then cut the lights and ignition. As we made our way up the walk to the front stoop, I wondered how Jillian would react to our visit. Would she be angry? Would she even listen? I glanced at Randy and Todd. They appeared nervous, too. The half-moon floated out from under the clouds. Pale light washed over the porch, as if casting us in a dim spotlight. Todd rang the bell. 
We waited, staring straight ahead at the white wood door. It's kind of late, I murmured. Maybe they've all gone to sleep. It's only 10.30, Todd replied, glancing at his watch. The lights are on. Jillian always stays up late, Randy added. I think she said her parents are away, though. Todd rang the bell again, pushing it down for a long time. I could hear it buzz inside the house, but I couldn't hear any voices in there or anyone coming to answer the door. Let's go, I urged. No one's coming. Maybe she's upstairs, Randy suggested. She backed off the stoop and gazed up to the second floor windows. Dark up there? Come on, we can talk to her tomorrow, I said impatiently. I hopped off the low concrete stoop and started along the walk. Halfway to the car, I changed direction. A square of light slanted out from the living room window. I walked over to the window, raised myself on tiptoes, and peered inside. At first, I saw only the empty living room, the couch with the flower painting above it, the coffee table with a tall stack of fashion magazines, the antique circus poster, nothing unusual. But then my gaze shifted to the stairway that led to the second floor. Oh, a startled moan escaped my throat as I saw the body sprawled over the basement stairs. Chapter 21 It's Jillian, I managed to choke out. Randy and Todd were beside me now. Their expressions turned to horror as they followed my gaze. My heart thudding in my chest, I lurched to the front door. They followed right behind me. Jillian, please be alive, I thought. Please be alive. The desperate words repeated in my mind as I grabbed the doorknob and pushed. To my surprise, the door was unlocked. It swung open easily. The three of us burst inside, stopped at the bottom of the stairs. Please be alive. Please be alive. No. Jillian stared up at us through lifeless blank eyes. I let out a horrified cry. Her neck! I shrieked. She must have fallen down the stairs, I realized. She landed on her stomach, but her neck had been broken, so that her head was completely turned around. Her arms and legs sprawled over the bottom step and the floor, but her face stared up at us. Her mouth was frozen open in a silent scream. Her auburn hair spread under her like a pillow. Those eyes, those cold, dead eyes, staring up so accusingly. So much shock and pain in those eyes, the dead eyes, the head twisted backward. I knew I'd never erase them from my memory. I'll, I'll call the police, Randy stammered. She started toward the kitchen. Without realizing it, I had grabbed onto Todd's arm with both hands. Now he turned to me. Another accident, he whispered. Another horrible accident. The police came and went. Somehow I answered their questions. The three of us told her story again and again. Another accident, Todd had whispered to me. An accident. That's what the police decided, too. Our parents arrived soon after the police. I felt too dazed to answer their questions, to explain anything to them. Too dazed and frightened. Carlo, then Jillian. I didn't sleep. My thoughts churned inside me. Carlo, then Jillian. They had decided to go to the police and confess, but they had died before they had a chance. Accidents? I didn't think so. Tossing on my bed, feverish and dripping in sweat despite the cool night, I accused myself. Natalie, why didn't you go to the police sooner? Why didn't you go at once? Could two lives have been saved if you had gone? If you had told the truth about the accident that killed the mayor's sister, would Carlo and Jillian still be alive? Such horrifying thoughts. My friends, I thought, Randy and Todd. They're my friends. We were all such good friends. But my friends must be murderers. They must have worked together. They're so desperate not to be caught. So desperate that the secret be kept. Randy and Todd. Yes, they worked together. They pushed Jillian down the stairs tonight. Then they waited for me outside the skating rink. They brought me to Jillian's. They knew she was dead. 
They pretended to be shocked. They pretended. They lied. They murdered. I sat up with a jolt. I felt as if I were drowning, drowning in my own bed. My chest was heaving. The blood throbbed at my temples. First thing in the morning, I decided I'll go to the police. I'll tell the whole story. From beginning to end, nothing will stop me. Nothing. Mom and Dad had driven away early for a business meeting in Waynesbridge. They left me a scribbled note by my empty cereal bowl on the breakfast table. I glanced at it and set it back down. I poured myself a bowl of cornflakes, but I was too tense to choke it down. Leaving the half-full bowl on the table, I hurried back to my room. I pulled on a huge, long-sleeved yellow t-shirt over a short-sleeved t-shirt and the jeans I wore the day before, grabbed my red parka, peeked out at a blustery gray morning, zipped the parka, and hurried out to get the car. My parents had taken the Bonneville, but the old Civic was still in the garage. As I started to pull open the garage door, I rehearsed what I tell the police. I had already gone over it a hundred times in my mind, but I wanted to get it all right. I wanted to tell it just the way it had happened. I had the garage door halfway up when I heard a car roll up the drive. Startled, I turned to see Randy's familiar green Volvo. I let go of the garage door and made my way over to her. She rolled down the window. Her face was pale, her eyes red-rimmed. I guessed that she hadn't slept much either. Guilty conscience? I wondered. Randy, what are you doing here? I demanded. I want to talk to you, Natalie, she replied sternly. No, I said bluntly, shaking my head. Her eyes filled with surprise. She started to say something, but I cut her off. I'm going to the police, I murmured in a low, steady voice. Right now. Her eyes locked on mine. She didn't reply. I'm telling them the whole story, I said. I've made up my mind, Randy. Back down the driveway, okay? So I can get my car out? She spalled hard. Her eyes didn't move from mine. I could see that she was thinking, thinking hard. Okay, she finally replied. I'll go with you. She motioned to the passenger side. Jump in, Natalie. We'll go in my car. I hesitated. You're coming with me to the police station? She nodded. That's why I came over. I decided to go to the police, too. I studied her face. Was she lying? She and Todd might have killed two of our friends. Was she serious about going to the police? Was this a trick? I I'd rather go in my car, I stammered. The wind blew over a trash can in my neighbor's driveway. The sound made me jump. I heard the metal lid clatter down the driveway. The sky darkened. The air felt heavy and wet. The police will want to see my car, Randy replied. This is the car that was in the accident. They'll want to see it. Jump in, Natalie. I didn't want to ride with Randy. I realized I was afraid of her, afraid of my own best friend. But I couldn't think of an excuse. My mind whirred and whirred and came up with nothing. I shivered. The police will want to examine Randy's car, I realized. She's right about that. I took a deep breath. Then I walked over to the passenger door, pulled it open, and climbed in. The car was warm. Randy had the heater turned up full blast. As soon as I closed my door, she began backing down the driveway. We should have gone right away, the night of the accident, she said. I was up all last night, Natalie, thinking about Carlo and Jillian. Two friends, two friends dead. For what? She let out a bitter sob. I stared hard at her, trying to decide if this was all an act. Do you think Todd did it? I blurted out. The words slipped out of my mouth before I could stop them. I don't know what to think, Randy replied in a trembling voice. I just don't. Maybe I'm wrong about Randy, I suddenly thought. Maybe Randy is sincere. Maybe Randy is as upset and frightened as I am. But then I felt a stab of fear as we reached Old Mill Road. Randy turned right instead of left. She was heading away from town. She was heading toward Fear Street. Randy, 
This isn't the way to the police station, I cried. Where are we going? Where are you taking me?